This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Okay, so it's a bit cold in here tonight. We've turned the heating up, but this talk is called The Burning Ground. So I'm going to be talking about fire, cremations, energy. So regardless of what happens externally with the radiators, we're going to warm up. (laughs) And uh, warming up is uh, very apt because this whole theme is about Tantra Now. And you might have seen the, the image downstairs for Tantra Now is a burning flame, a matchstick alight with a burning flame. So yeah, we're looking at Vajrayana Buddhism or Tantric Buddhism and this is a later period in the Buddhist history and it's chiefly concerned with accessing our direct experience, our direct experience of reality. And especially the Tantra turns our ordinary lives into our spiritual lives. Our ordinary lives, lives become our practice and it uses our strongest experiences and emotions and puts them to use in our spiritual lives. So it uses our strongest experiences and emotions. So this includes difficult emotions such as fear. So often, as we're going about our daily lives, we might experience strong, deep emotions as a negative thing, something that we don't want. And they can seem to get in the way of our spiritual aspirations. They can seem like demons that are undermining us in our progress. So you might find yourself thinking, well, I could grow and I could transform. If only I didn't have desire, or if only I didn't get scared, or if only I didn't get jealous or angry, if I didn't have any of those difficult, deep, strong emotions, then I could change, I could grow. But because I do have those things, I can't. And because we might feel like that or think like that, we tend to keep things like anger and desire jealousy a bit separate we don't want to own up to them and then our spiritual life can be about refining our prettier sides you know our generosity our love our kindness just refining that and trying to forget about the anger and the desire or the jealousy but the tantra tells us that the energy that's tied up in these strong emotions like fear or desire or anger is precisely the energy that we need if we want to break through to enlightenment So we can't ignore those emotions. We can't keep them at bay or keep them separate. And we need to get these powerful energies on our side and we need to use that energy in our spiritual life. So this is what this burning ground talk is all about. And I'm using Padmasamava as a representation of what this might look like. So we had Padmasamava Day back in September. Many of you may well be quite well... uh, You may have met him many times. Um, But just to say, he's a historical figure, so Padmasamva really lived. And he brought Buddhism from India, where it was well-established, to Tibet. And Tibet was a feudal warring nation when Padmasamva arrived. So just take a look at this image of Padmasamva here to get a sense of who he might be. And he might not be what most people expect Buddhists to look like. So he is lotus-born. <laughs> well, maybe you do, I don't know. I, I don't look much like Padmasamva, but uh, I can try. No. So he's, he's lotus-born. He's, um, his fundamental motive is compassion, 
But you might not see that look. I mean, this is a particularly, he has a particularly um, compassionate uh, look on his face here. You can look at other images of Padmasambhava to see um, sometimes he has a bit of a fiercer look about him. So he's described as a semi-wrathful figure. He has a lot of fierce energy and he can be quite scary. He's a magician, he's a shaman, he's a warrior, he's a dancer and a lover. So maybe people who think of themselves as Buddhists might quite disapprove of people who are a bit shamanic and a bit kind of scary and into dancing and loving. Um, maybe they find him a bit red-blooded and dangerous. Um, maybe it's because looking at Padmasambhava, you might feel that he's actually asking you to change. He's not just talking about change, he's really challenging you to change. And perhaps as Buddhists, being calm and mild is at times helpful but maybe not always, and not especially when we're looking to really transform our deeper energies. And uh, being calm and mild, even meek, was not what was needed when Buddhism was being established in Tibet. So just to go back in time into the story, I feel like I'm evoking the uh, panto without even trying here. <laughs> back in time to uh, when, when Padmasambha went to Tibet to establish Buddhism. So previously to Padmasambhava, the king of Tibet had, had called uh, a scholar called Shantarakshita to try to establish Buddhism. Um, and Shantarakshita was quite a gentle and scholarly man. And he went about his days trying to build a monastery in Tibet in order to establish Buddhism. But um, every time he got all organised and got all the people to build the monastery during the day, he'd be feeling like, yeah, we're, get, we're getting there, the monastery is coming. And then at night, something else would happen, and the next morning they'd come and they'd find all the stones scattered, all the work that they'd put in during the day had been demolished. And this was being done by ghastly, non-human beings that were appearing at night and tearing down the really good work that had been done in the day by the humans. And in some versions of the story, the, the non-human beings and nagas, serpent-like beings who live in the depths, and they would come out of the depths in order to, um, to tear apart any um, monastery building that had been going on during the day. So we could look at this in psychological terms. So Santarakshita was there trying in the daytime to build a monastery, and you could see that as the conscious mind that we all have. We all have our spiritual aspirations. Our conscious minds are like, yep, I go to the Buddhist centre at 6.30 for my baked potato, and then I go to Sanganite, and that's what I need in order to learn about the Dharma, and then I'll transform. So we're all here consciously doing our best. But before we know it, you know, it's the tea break, and we think, oh, I just think I'll probably just go home because I really need an early night. And then you get home, and you just kind of stay up doing whatever you do. <laughs> and then you have a bit of a late night, and you don't get up to meditate the next morning. And so the next morning, all this conscious effort that you've put into being here at Sanganite, possibly, not always, but sometimes you might feel that it gets wasted away during the night. And this is our darker, less conscious forces at play. So we try and build something during the day and then at night, or when we're distracted, when we're not noticing, our unconscious energies come forth and they have different ideas about what we want in our lives. Um, this can happen, and maybe you recognise that. So yes, this building of the monastery in Tibet is like a metaphor for our attempts to build ourselves into being wiser, into being kinder people. 
And that can be a bit puzzling because we think, no, we really do want to grow. Um, but our conscious minds are just a small part of us and we need to find ways of bringing our unconscious energies on board. Um, and this is a bit, this metaphor, I think, is similar to the world. You know, we've, we've got this beautiful Buddha centre that's been built. We've got a lot of infrastructure in this country that makes it seem as, thing, as though things are quite kind of ordered and that we're in control. But actually, the world is wild. Nature takes over. And we need to understand ourselves as natural beings, actually, that have forces at play that we need to build into our spiritual lives. So yeah, back to Tibet. Santarakshita realised, okay, I'm great at reading books. I'm really good at telling people about the Dharma. But when it comes to really harnessing deep, dark forces, maybe I'm not the man. And he told the king of Tibet, I think who you need is Padmasambha, my mate. Padmasambha, bring him in. So yes, Padmasambha was what was needed to get this job done in Tibet. He was needed to build this monastery his energy, his attitude is maybe what we need if we want to build something within our own being, want to build our own refined states. Um, if we want to become more than we have got used to being, we need some strength, we need some energy, we need to face anything that's a bit deeper and darker. And that's what Pamsamba did. He came to Tibet and he tamed the demons. So his hand is in the demon-taming mudra, which does look a little bit like Muism, but let's not go there. Back to the, that's just a panto in-joke. If you weren't there at the panto, watch the recording. But no, he's actually taming demons, and he has a, a, a staff and a mean face, and there's, a, there's an actual demon in the corner there who he's subduing. He's got a skull cup full with blood. So yeah, we need to engage our deeper energies. And if we don't... Um, they're, they're, they will hinder us, they will come back and uh, find us in the depths of the night. So how can we do that? If we need these energies, if we need to harness the deeper, darker forces that are our energies, how do we do that? How do we get in contact with them? How do we convert them? Rather than just keeping them a little bit separate out the door of the Buddhist centre, we don't bring them in. Um, so how did Padmasambha become the kind of person who could tame demons in Tibet? Um, so among other things, Padmasambha spent quite a lot of his time meditating in cremation grounds. So this is where the title of the talk comes, The Burning Ground. He would go to cremation grounds, sit there and meditate all day, all night, with all the kind of creatures and non-human beings that were there at the same time. So what are cremation grounds like? They're, they're lonely places. They're found on the edge of towns. There are bones, there's bits of bodies, there's wild dogs. And there's a very, very strong atmosphere of death. This is where bodies are taken to be burned at death. So it's a scary and a lonely place. People don't tend to go and hang out there. Um, yeah, dead bodies have been burnt and left to decompose. There's vultures, there's jackals. And there was a traditional practice of going to meditate in cremation grounds in ancient India and Tibet. And this is where Padmasambha went in order to learn, in order to uh, associate himself with fear, with the deepest, darkest energies of himself, of that in the world. And uh, while he was there, he met some beings known as Darkanis. So I've also got an image of Vajrayogini, who's a classic traditional Darkani on the shrine, made by um, Mike Atkins, if you know him. There's a beautiful 
well, I find it beautiful, you might not, <laughs> image of um, Vadriogany here in a picture. So if you can't see them, they're quite small, come up and take a look at the end of the talk. So he, he comes across Darkenese and he gets to know Darkenese, and this is another way in which we can represent our deeper, darker energies. Um, so, yeah, if you go to a place of fear or if you confront your fear, as a result, these darkenies, these figures, may come and aid you in your spiritual life. So what is a darkeny and what does a darkeny represent? So darkeny literally means sky being or space being. And it comes from a root meaning direction, space and sky. So you can think of the sky as empty space or emptiness. And it's got a sense of potentiality to it. So there's no obstruction. There's complete freedom of movement. Um, not necessarily in space, but in your mind. There's just this idea of complete spontaneity, the free moving energies of your mind. Um, so darkenies represent what is possible in a spiritual life when all of your energy is available, when all obstructions have been surpassed. There's complete spontaneity, you're completely unrestricted. So looking a little bit more closely at the image of Vajrayogini, she can give us some more information maybe on what a darkeny is and what our um, free energy might look like. So she's standing. Um, she either has her legs apart or in, in these images, she's got one leg up. She's kind of dancing. She's moving. She's not static. Um, she's got her breasts fully thrust out, her head tilted back, her arms raised. Um, she has a menacing look, a wrathful look, a terrifying gaze. She's brilliantly red completely naked, except for human bone ornaments that adorn her. Uh, she has a necklace of human skulls. She has long black hair, which is wildly dishevelled. In her right hand, she holds a Vadra chopper. So this is a sort of knife with a Vadra handle. Um, and in her left hand, she's got, again, a skull cup with blood inside. And she's drinking the blood with pure enjoyment. She has a third eye in her forehead. She wears a crown of skulls. And sometimes she has a staff, yes, with a drum and streamers. And there's three severed heads on her staff. She's often trampling figures beneath her feet. Um, and they're kind of either raising their hands in supplication, similar to the demon with Pamsamava. She's trampling them. And often her whole naked figure is surrounded by flames. Okay, that's Vajrayogini. So um, her form and her, the effect of her form might just stand for themselves, really. And it's worth just noticing what that description, what effect that description has on you. Um, but let's look a little bit closely at this um, representation, what the symbolism of this form might mean. So she's red, that's the colour of love, of passion, of emotional arousal. She's um, fully emotionally engaged in her life. Her life isn't just an academic exercise. Her aspirations aren't just academic. She's got a full body, whole involvement in her life. Um, and her hair is dishevelled and unkempt. So she's just throwing herself in. She doesn't care what people think. She's abandoning herself to something beyond herself. And uh, a little secret here, this picture of uh, Vadriogini. Um, if you looked closely, you'd see she's, she was at a bit of an angle and the, the picture's kind of not quite in the frame. 
but we thought that that's just Vajrayogini all encompassed, really. She's just kind of bursting out of her frame, even. You can't frame Vajrayogini. She just wants to burst out. So she's not afraid of emotional commitment. She's plunging in, and she's not afraid to feel something as a result of commitment. She's naked. She's emotionally uh, naked. She's representing truth. She has nothing to hide. She's completely open and completely honest. And there's a lot of representation of death. She has this necklace of skulls. She has the um, three decomposing heads on her staff. And this represents cutting through the cycles of birth and death. She's always changing. She's free from the habits and the vicious circles of conditioning and any self-perpetuated problem. She's breaking through these. She has a volcanic surge of energy that can break through any obstacles. And all these bone ornaments suggest that death is a reality. And if we can face that and not shy away from it, then there's a sense of fearlessness, a sense of urgency that we can bring to our lives. And we can just get on with it. We don't need to wait for tomorrow. We can't wait for next year or the year after that. Death is certain and we need to just plunge in, commit now. Our life is precious and it's not to be wasted. She has this kind of wrathful sense to herself. Um, Sometimes she has fangs, there's a fierce look in her eyes. She's not messing about, she's not trying to be pretty, she's not afraid of fiery emotions. Um, if she's experiencing anger, she puts that into the um, service of her highest ideals. Um, what would that be like for us to just sit with anger, not let it, not react from anger, but just let it, put it in the service of trampling the craving and delusion that's holding us back? So that's who she's trampling on. She's trampling on craving, delusion, anything that's holding us back. And I'd just like to point out that all of this wrathful, kind of fierce energy in both Padmasambhava and Radhayogini is coming from a heart of compassion. This is in order to benefit ourselves and to benefit others. So it's not about being mean and being like a bit harsh to people. It's about acting from metta, knowing what's best for us, and knowing that really what's best for us is overcoming any obstacles, engaging all our energies and putting it in the service of our highest ideals. So the significance of these forms could be that this might be what freed up energy could look like for us. If we were emotionally involved, if we could be naked and have free available energy, if we could be free from conditionings and vicious cycles, free of any ideas of security and wrong views, then maybe this is what life could be like. <laughs> and we could then use this energy to be directed towards and sublimated into our spiritual aims and aspirations. And that's what Padmasambhava realised he needed to do in order to build the monastery. He needed to go deeply into these unconscious, kind of uglier, potentially, um, emotions that you kind of previously have wanted to keep at bay. So what does this look like in everyday actual life? It's all that maybe it seems a bit abstract or a bit kind of mythic. Um, but myth always tells us something about our everyday life. So how might our energies be uncovered or activated like they are for Vajrayogini or Padmasamava? And a clue here is to go back to where the Darkanis live. So the Darkanis live in the cremation ground. Um, again, the cremation ground stands for death, which is the ultimate fear. And... If we're facing our fear, then what can come is fearlessness. So we're looking for fearlessness. If we can inhabit the cremation ground of fear, represent fears, 
then all these heroic and powerful emotions that are needed to face fear can arise up. Um, if we turn and face our fears and we take on a challenge, if we go out of our comfort zones, fearlessness can arise. So if we do choose to enter the cremation ground, something marvellous can happen. It might be scary, but what happens, in a, in a way, mythologically, is that these strange figures can come and aid us. The darkenies start to take interest in us. They show themselves to us. They might even start to dance with us. And Sangharakshita, the founder of Tri Ratna Buddhist community, talks about cremation grounds as crucial situations in our own lives. So we might not choose to go and meditate. We might not even find a cremation ground in this country in the modern age. We would, could go and meditate in a cemetery if we wanted to. I do know some people who've spent time in cemeteries at night. But Sangharakshita is pointing out that a cremation ground for us can be any crucial situation in our everyday life. So he describes this as a situation of crisis into which you deliberately plunge yourself and in which you are compelled to change. So a situation of crisis into which you deliberately plunge yourself and in which you are compelled to change. So this is Sangharakshita reframing cremation grounds as crucial situations. So whenever we step out of our comfort zone or whenever we have to discover new resources that we didn't know that we had, um, whenever we find a situation where an old, limited version of ourselves has to kind of die away and we're forced to become a larger being, any crucial situation like that in your life can be a cremation ground where all of your energies can arise and those deeper, darker forces need to come in line with your vision. So that sounds, I think, that as a vision, that sounds quite cool, quite wonderful. Um, but it also might sound a bit scary. So crucial situations are scary, otherwise they wouldn't be crucial. Um, and why would you choose to put yourself into something that's scary? Um, surely what's important in our spiritual lives is to be gentle with ourselves, to be very kind with ourselves, not push too hard and just take it easy, allow ourselves to grow in a kind of natural, organic way. And actually, when, um, in last week's talk, Vidanya talked about the different myths of a spiritual life and that kind of regular steps, having an organic approach to your spiritual life where you gradually change and no part of you grows quicker than the last part of you had to. You know, that's all really important and will be a way in which we all grow. But there's also a place for risk. And this um, burning ground, crucial situation is saying there is a place for risk in the spiritual life. There has to be a space for risk in the spiritual life. Um, so where's the risk for you? Where's the, way, the place in which your potential could burst through? Your deeper energies can arise. How can you thrust yourself forward into a new and delightful, maybe even an unimaginable way of being? Um, can you find a crucial situation where this can happen for you? So this risk, it looks like stepping out of our comfort zones. So there's a story, um, I take it to be true because wise people told it to me, uh, where elephants are trained in India by um, being um, tied to a stake, basically. So there's a stake in the ground, and the elephant is tied round its neck to this stake. And so it can only go in a small circle around this stake. And as a baby elephant, it's tied to the stake, and it just knows that if it goes too far away from the stake, it has to stop because there's a, a restriction. But then as the baby elephant grows, 
if you take the stake out and take away the rope, it will stay in that circle. So it's been trained not to go outside of its comfort zone, basically. And if we're not careful, we may live our life just like that baby elephant. If we just stay in our comfort zones, we never find out what's beyond that circle. We never kind of break through into the new horizons beyond that. And if we're also doing that, if we're staying in our comfort zone, that comfort zone is potentially going to get smaller and smaller as we um, experience fear and anxiety, anything new. So if we can step out of our comfort zones and face our fears rather than running away from them, this can be very exhilarating. New energies can come on board, the darkenies can come out to dance. Um, I had an experience of this um, where when I'd first started coming to the Buddhist Centre for about nine months of coming to the Buddhist Centre, I didn't really get on very well with um, ritual, with puja. Um, and partly I think that was because when I was experiencing anything in an emotional response sort of a way to the puja, it was so unfamiliar, I was quite scared. And I came up here once to Sanganite and I came through the door and I saw that it was going to be a puja and I felt really scared. And I was almost crying and I nearly left. But I decided to just keep, stay here, stay for the puja. It was Pamsamva puja. And there was something about the strength of Pamsamva that helped me to, to face the fear that I had to this unusual emotional response. And something came forth. And from that day on, I've really appreciated ritual and find it a very helpful way to engage my energy. So um, that was me going out of my comfort zone, sticking with something that felt unfamiliar and seeing what happened, basically. So um, whether you like it or not, life will always offer you a crucial situation. You might try to keep life safe and secure, no alarms and no surprises. Um, but before you know it, life will offer you crucial situations. So more or less, there will always be a new challenge that you can either say yes or no to. So what is it like to say yes to that new challenge? Sometimes things just go wrong and life seems to fall apart. Something that you expect to happen doesn't happen. Something that you weren't expecting does happen. What's the opportunity for growth in that situation? We all fall sick. We get ill. What do we do in that situation? Do we fall back into habitual patterns of watching daytime TV and YouTube? Yes. But do we... Do we... <laughs> Do we also reflect on the preciousness of our human life and how we really want to make the most of our health when we have it? Um, can we reflect on the nature of existence and how we're all the same, we all get sick, we will all die? And when we're facing death, our, you know, our loved ones will die. Reality is right there in front of us at that time. So you can't, you can't really avoid the crucial situation, actually. And a life lived fully is a life lived full of cremation grounds. So if you're living a life seeking safety, that's not a life lived fully. And there are ways to choose crucial situations. So no matter what you do, there will be some in your life. Um, we can have a cup of tea later, it'll be all right. But uh, there are ways to choose the cremation grounds as well. So um, if you are accepting a new challenge, if you are making a commitment to something, Keep that commitment. You might make a commitment and then think, why? Why did I say that I would do that thing that I don't want to do? But if you can stick at it and try it out, it might not be how you might have hoped it could be, but you're still doing it, you're still growing, you're still changing, your energies are still engaged.
And maybe especially you could make a commitment to live for something meaningful in your life, something larger than what you kind of fancy or what you like or what you desire. Um, and there's a quote here that commitment has magic and power in it. So commitment has magic and power in it. And maybe the best sort of commitment you can make is to, is to your spiritual life, to knowing deeply what your values are and committing to those, no matter what happens. Again, maybe you can choose to take a risk. Um, safe, secure, sensible options are great, but maybe you can just you know, throw it all up in the air and take a risk. Um, and if you are experiencing an adverse situation, um, there's different stories you can tell yourself about adverse situations. You can say, this is horrible, this shouldn't be happening. Or you can say, okay, this is an opportunity to grow. Okay, well, how can I change my habits in this situation? Um, I'm not speaking hugely personally here, and that's partly because next week there's going to be three short talks on crucial situations. So uh, come back next week to hear more personal talks. Um, I do have my own examples of crucial situations, and I would say that standing here right now is one of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, through uh, my journey, if you like, of giving any kind of public talk, whether that was in a small discussion group at Sanganite to standing up in front of people and talking for, like, a really long time, I've got to the point now where I could even say, I've heard myself say to people, I enjoy giving talks, so I would never have build myself as someone who would say that. So, um, yeah, come back next week and hear more about personal stories of crucial situations. So, yeah, Padmasambha and the Darkanese, they're found in cremation grounds because it is necessary to go outside our, our comfort zones, face challenges, meet and activate our deepest energies. And we can't just sit around and wait for our deepest energies to be activated. They're not just going to activate on their own accord. Um, we have the potential to go beyond our current experience, but we need to take a risk and face going beyond what's comfortable to realise that potential, to find that energy, those qualities. They've been there all along, but they won't arise until they're needed, until they're summoned. And our own energy is best freed up and made available to us through facing challenges, through creating cremation grounds in the everyday, plunging into crucial situations, knowing that our emotional response and the upsurge of energy will be there when we need it. And that might not be easy, and it does require courage and confidence, but we can do that. Lastly, I'm going to talk about uh, the darkeny in another form or in another aspect. So with the Tantra, we're in the series of Tantra now, the Dharkani can take on the aspect of spiritual friendship or of the Sangha. So the Dharkani can represent the esoteric Sangha refuge. Um, and I've talked about the female form of the Dharkani tonight, but there's a male form as well, the darker. So if the darkeny can also be a spirit, uh, an aspect of spiritual friendship, and if the darkeny also lives in cremation grounds, then putting the two together, you can see that friendship can become a cremation ground. Um, communication can, can become a crucial situation. So this might not just be any old friendship, but a friendship that really inspires you in your practice or stimulates your experience of your spiritual life. 
So um, the darkening can be what's possible in context of communication, where you're really being honest with one another, where there's an element of challenge. So again, we can take risks and be open to change in communication. Um, we can really listen to other people. We can really talk to other people. We can be honest and open with one another. Um, so maybe we can spend time with people who share our spiritual aspirations and who really kind of uh, evoke these energies towards our spiritual aspirations. And when we're together in the Sangha, we don't need to talk necessarily about our formal practice, but maybe we could talk about how meditation is going, you know, that talk we heard the other day that really inspired us. Um, but if we're finding that we have um, friendship in the Sangha that can really spark us, um, really move towards that. I suggest that um, what you value, what you find beautiful, what you find attractive in other people in the Sangha, just uh, follow that through in friendship. Um, another aspect of the Tantra is that our greatest energies lie where our passions lie. So if there's attraction, if there's any sense of um, connection with people that you know in the Sangha, just follow that. You know, meet up with each other, see what happens. Um, create that situation um, like you would create the, the crucial situation in friendship. So just some specific suggestions now um, as to how to create these crucial situations for ourselves, how to go outside of our comfort zones. So um, I might get a bit of a get a bit pigeonholed for going on about this, but uh, maybe you could stay for the whole evening of Sangha night. Mm. So uh, there's discussion groups. Ooh. There's uh, meditation. Ooh. So, you know, if you can, if you're able to, why don't you just stay and see what happens? We dim the lights and everything. So, uh, yeah, stay for a whole evening. Um, commit to a whole swathe of something, whether that's Sangha night, whether that's going to your Mitra group, whether that's going on a weekend retreat. Just go to the whole thing and just be there. And you can go on retreat. There's retreats, Sangha retreats. There's also longer retreats at retreat centres. And there are still spaces on our Sangha retreat coming up in, not this weekend, the weekend after. Retreats do represent us going outside of our comfort zone. And every time I get a book on a retreat, you know, way in advance, I'm like, great, I'm going on this retreat. I'm going to change. It's going to be wonderful. And I get to the day of the retreat, and I'm like, I don't want to go on that retreat. I want to stay at home on my sofa and um, watch Netflix. So, uh, yeah, it is going outside of our comfort zones. It's putting ourselves in an unfamiliar situation. Um, maybe you can intensify your practice in any type of way. So um, you could intensify your Sangha practice by spending more time with people in the Sangha. There are ways of um, intensifying your practice through things like fundraising appeals with Karanar or working or volunteering in Dana Cafe. There's the Dharma Life Course at Adistana. There's longer retreats that you might not have been on yet. Um, another suggestion is to open up into friendship and find out where the darkenies lie in communication. Or you could find where your passion lies and really follow that. But ultimately, anything that is asking you to commit to the spiritual life um, is a way of bringing in this crucial situation. So if you take your aspirations, spiritual aspirations seriously, the darkenies will take you seriously too and you can enter into and play and dance with the darkenies in the burning ground. So I'm just urging you to go to the places that scare you, find that cremation ground, and to boldly go where you've not been before. 
Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 